Yo, what up? What up, what up, what up? This is you, Levine. Yo, Lewey. Orion de Peligrosa. T-Double. The mighty DJ Mel. This is Ginger Lee. Zilli. Protégé. Yo, 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 everybody. It's Toddy B. This is your favorite giant Chinaman, CK. DJ K. Cali, you rocking with the feedback. The feedback. The feedback. The feedback. The feedback. You are listening to The Feedback Podcast. With my homie, Back. Welcome to The Feedback Podcast, everybody. My name is Back. We got Miko in the house. Hello, world. We got Byron in the house. What up, what up? And Lane in the house. Hi. And this is a special show. I am so honored to be here. We're at City Hall, folks. And to talk with none other than our beloved mayor, Mr. Mayor Adler. Is it Mr. Mayor Adler? Actually, Mr. Mayor Adler? Steve, Steve works. Steve works too? <laughs> ah, <laughs> <that's cool>. <laughs> Some mayor would be like, no, you call me Mayor de Blasio. Or <laughs> Steve works too. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. No, I'm excited. Thanks. I know you're busy and I, I know that you know people are pulling you left and right to do things and uh, meeting after meetings and everything. So it really it really means a lot to us for you to mm-hmm. take the time on a Saturday morning to, to talk with us. Yeah, skip uh, the cartoons this morning to come. <laughs> Appreciate that. These are these are the important personal sacrifices oh, yeah. for remember. the city. <laughs> so before we get started, uh, this episode is brought to you by Herd Presents, uh, located in the iconic Red River District. Empire Control Room and Garage has three stages, including a patio. So go to empireatx.com and check the lineup. They have great shows coming up. Uh, the Ohio players are coming at the end of the month. Uh, Yellow Take your Wolf. parents. Uh, the brownout is performing with Jizza oh, yeah. next month. Uh, so that's very exciting. So make sure you go to Empire ATX. Use promo code FDBK for 10% off your tickets. So mm-hmm. shout out to our friends over at Heard Presents. So let's jump right into it. We want to get a little bit more on your about your, your background and you know what brought you to Austin and you know becoming you know our our mayor. So Washington DC, that's where I was born in, in the city. Uh, not too many people actually born. People say they are born in Washington. They actually mean Maryland, Virginia, right, right. most of the time. But I was born in the city. Uh, uh, and as I got uh, older, we moved uh, further out Connecticut Avenue. So I graduated high school in in, in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to college in uh, uh, Princeton. Uh, and um, we won't uh, ask what year. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Long time ago. Did, did you know what you wanted to study at the time? Like, were you? Was there any inkling at getting into politics at all growing up? Or, you know, I, I, I my, uh, I got an undergraduate degree in a graduate school that they have there, uh-huh. uh, which is the Woodrow Wilson School. It's kind of like the LBJ School. Uh, so it was uh, public and international uh, affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never really thought about getting into politics. But obviously, I was. I, I was I've always been uh you know re- real intrigued by public policy mm-hmm. uh by people's lives and 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 quality of life kinds of issues for people. Uh so then I, I graduated from 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 Princeton uh and decided that law school would be a good way to go in part because I didn't know what I wanted to do and <laughs> law school seemed like you get a degree, one of the you hardest do ones. lots of different things, but you can do lots of different things <laughs> right. with that. Uh, so I, I came to Texas for law school because it was the, the cheapest law school in the country. Uh, it was ranked really high, and they gave me a scholarship so I could afford law school uh, uh-huh. here. So I came down here for that. Mm-hmm. Absent that, I wouldn't have come. I had no intention of staying in Texas or Austin. What did you know about Austin at the time? 
from Maryland. What what was the? Uh, I didn't I didn't know very much about it at all. Were you, were you expecting horses? I was Cowboys. expecting horses and, <laughs> and oil wells. And <laughs> um, I you know I had no idea what to what to expect. I had some buddies that I had uh, uh, grown up with mm-hmm. uh, back in in D.C. and when I went off to college, they went off and joined the military, mm-hmm. uh, and they had arrived in Austin just before I came down. Okay. Uh, they m- met me at the airport. I hadn't seen them in years. Uh, their the hair was well past their waist by the time I <laughs> caught up to them again in uh, in Austin, and they uh, they picked me up at the airport, took me back to their place in Hyde Park, where mm-hmm. my first night in Austin was spent on the floor. But on the way, we we stopped by uh, Barton Springs to yeah. to see that, and you know, I in Barton Springs there within forty five minutes arriving, thinking this is a pretty cool place. Was this now, summertime? You know, yeah. So yeah, you got exposed to that heat right away. Yeah. It's a good thing they took you to Barton Springs yeah. to cool off. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, that was that's that it. part. That part took it and used to. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's pretty much. Your blood has to thin out a little bit. Yes, it does. I'm still not used to it. I'm born and raised in Texas. Yeah. And then you thought I said Austin is where I want, where I want to be, where I want to stay. Well, over time, you know, it, you know, over time, I, you know, the the thought of thing here was just so foreign to me that. You know, there were a lot of things about the city that just began to feel right. It began to feel more like home. Um, you know, Barn Springs, it was a beautiful place. The hill mm-hmm. country was beautiful. But a lot of it was the music. A lot of it was just the number of places you could go to listen to music. And it was so interwoven into the to the culture mm-hmm. and who we were. So I, you know, you go to law school, you finish your first year and your second year, and then you do these summer internships. Right. Uh, which are kind of like... Uh, uh, you know, you make good money so you can pay for the next year of school. Uh, but it's also a time to see what it's like to be a real lawyer. And it's kind of like an extended interview process. Hmm. So you go do these internships with firms that you think you might want to work for. And I, my internships were with uh, big D.C. law firms because mm-hmm. uh, that's where I was. That's where I knew kind of what was reflected. To you, yes. is what I was familiar with. It's right. where I was headed. Uh, but as I started spending time here, you know, I, I, I got a kind of a learner's permit that you can get as a second year law student. And I was trying cases in, yeah. in courtrooms. Mm-hmm. You can actually try a case so long as there's like a real lawyer that's standing nearby. So it's literally like a driver's interesting license permit, you know, uh, trying to, to learn how. Uh, and, um, you know, I, it was, I was sitting around listening to, to music and drinking beer at, Armadillo listening to uh, uh, Dana Cooper and Shake Russell. Oh, you were immersed in the culture at that point. <laughs> and, and I thought, how can I leave? Here? I can't. I can't leave this. So I turned down those firms. Wow. And and got a job with a little firm uh, here in in town, and that was it. Were you in, when you were in college? Were you in um, a band or did you a play? You were like, I'm gonna dedicate my life to. Uh, helping others and getting more into the legal side side of things. You know, I really like music. My father had an absolutely beautiful voice, uh, and and when he was young, he used to win, he would enter, you know, contests right. and yeah. things like that. My sister and 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 brother inherited those voices and continued to sing uh, with uh, with with groups and and things. Uh, I inherited my my mother's kind of tone deafness. You know? 
I can, I can, I can, I can sing really well if I hit the first note right. And if I don't hit the first note right, then everybody's like in trouble. <laughs> Great. Stay tuned for the end of the show, folks. When uh, <laughs> we have a live Steve performance, a little, no, <laughs> a little performance for us. There may or may not be dogs howling after that. We'll see. <laughs> but I play the piano and I play the spoon. So, mm-hmm. so when when huh? when I was growing up here, it seemed like everybody was in a band. I, you know, had a group of buddies, and 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 at the end of every evening, it seemed you know the guitars would come out, right? Uh, and 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 everybody would start. We would just start it's a jam session, singing, yeah. and, and I would break out the spoons. Steve, what is spoons? So why the the, the so you graduate from uh, UT Law School? Um, and then is that when you, you formed the, the, your legal firm? I, I started off with another firm right. uh, for the first year, but then had some really lucky breaks, mm-hmm. uh, and was able to, to kind of venture out on my own. Uh, and I did, um, uh, uh, a lot of civil rights law. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of it was employment discrimination law. Uh, and I tried some cases in federal court. I, Actually tried a case against the city of Austin, mm-hmm. uh, uh, dealing with a with a police incident, uh, but a lot of employment stuff. Most of it was um, uh, sexual harassment, uh, discrimination cases. Uh, uh, the first time I met uh, Kirk Watson, who's now mm-hmm. the state senator, yep. we were baby lawyers at the same time, huh. and one of his very first trials was one of my very first. One of the first cases mm-hmm. was one of my first cases. We found ourselves on opposite oh, how interesting. sides oh. of, a, of a case <laughs> when we were both just baby lawyers. And um, yeah, I want to know who won <laughs> for that case. <laughs> well, you know, those things are so determined by the facts. I I actually won that case. <laughs> hey. um, Porn for uh, Steve, everybody. He, he uh, you know, Kirk was was laden with with bad facts. <laughs> you know? uh, um, so. Uh, I did that, uh, and then uh, over time, also started doing real estate trial work uh, as well. The latter paid a lot more than the former. Uh, the the the, the tr- real estate litigation paid more than the civil rights work, um, and that practice then started to grow. Uh, and quite frankly, that that the growth of that practice put me and and Diane in the position where we could spend more time on. The, the civil rights kinds of issues, uh, uh, education issues. So we did a lot of nonprofit work. Mm-hmm. So on the civil rights side, I uh, uh, was was one of the folks that took the Anti Defamation League. We uh, helped create the the No Place for Hate program mm-hmm. that's now in in schools all over uh, uh, Central Texas, uh, and those kinds of things. A lot of education groups like uh, Breakthrough and, and Jen Austin. Uh, for for uh, uh, middle school girls, uh, and then and and well, that's it. it. It seems that your your track record um, is really about you know fighting for the little guy, whether it's discrimination discrimination cases, uh, sexual harassment, as you said, or people who are uh, being pushed out of their properties because some corporation or the government is is trying to you know acquire that property. Uh, where where does that come from? Is that something that you you're passionate about growing up, or where does that 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 uh, that passion for fighting for the little guy come from? 
You know, I think, you know, it probably, it, it begins with your parents, you know, it begins with the, the values that they had. My father uh, uh, never, never went to college, was a film editor uh, for uh, CBS. So I was there when, when Dan Rather arrived as a, as a pup reporter from, from, from Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I can remember watching uh, the Walter Cronkite evening news being broadcast live from D.C. He usually did it out of New York, but occasionally he would come down to D.C. to do it. So I grew up in and around uh, uh, where your local news is international news because you're growing up in Washington, D.C. Right. Uh, and because of my father's work, uh, I, I got to see a lot of it, and it was something we talked about a lot because it was part of of his everyday life, so it became uh, part of ours, part of ours too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you and you know the people. You know, you you're in a city, and you know somebody who's working on the Capitol, or is the son or daughter of of a congressman or a federal official, uh, or one of the the nonprofit organizations or lobby organizations that's constantly pushing on the environment or on civil rights or on whatever. So it becomes part of of you grow up in that environment. So I was pretty 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 steeped uh, in it. Um, when I went to uh, Princeton uh, and was able to go there because at the last minute they came through with a scholarship for me to be able to go. Otherwise, I. I, I was either going to go to the state university or I would have been at the Naval Academy because mm. again, that was, yeah. that was free. Um, um, but that was a very different world for me to go to college. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was suddenly seeing things that I had not seen before uh, and, and was seeing a perspective on things that I hadn't seen before. And quite frankly, that probably reinforced the kinds of things that I had grown up with. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's very I, same passions, right? Same passion. I you know, had a wider view. I, I, I began to see uh, what, what real power was, and and where that came from, and and how you could build that, or how you could um, uh, develop that, or, or gain that in places where that didn't otherwise uh, exist. So that was a, a neat thing. To, mm-hmm. I would then became part of the training. Part of it is the luck of who it is that you end up spending your your time with. You know, I just happened at, in in high school and in college uh, to to befriend people who were really passionate and great leaders and uh, on causes, and you kind of get sucked up into their universe, mm-hmm. and that becomes part of how you think or how you got trained or what you're sensitive uh, sensitive to. So, what was the 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 tilt in your head when you when you decided to jump into politics? Well, that didn't come to like way way later. You know, I, I was involved in politics in terms of supporting candidates or supporting causes. Uh-huh. Um, I was early in on on President Obama's mm-hmm. uh, campaign. I was on his finance committee. Um, um, so I, I did those kinds of things mostly at the at the federal and at the state level. One of my uh, closest friends from from law school uh, ended up becoming the the state senator from El Paso. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I helped him get elected in El Paso because he's my buddy. Uh, and then when he actually got elected, uh, I uh, helped him up at the Capitol set up his office. I was his chief of staff 
and general counsel. So I would kind of take leave of absence from my, my law firm uh, for that six for months session. period of time yeah. for the session. Uh, I would do a lot of work at night. So I would, uh, Elliot stayed at my home, uh, Senator, and I would get up with him at seven. We'd go do breakfast meetings. I would spend all day. And then at, uh, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night, I would send him off with, to do evening work as a senator. And then I would do law work until midnight Ooh. and then i'd get back up at seven with him in the morning but it was fascinating to have that that view in that six month period of time during session and then work outside of session so that you could see politics and and policy being made at that level um but i never really thought about me doing it right uh until in austin we we changed the former government you know, we went to the 10-1 system. Right, right. We, we went to a district system. Uh, and frankly, you know, as I looked at, and as a group of us looked at uh, other cities and counties that had transitioned into single-member district former government, while it's, theoretically it's a really good idea as a practical matter, mm -hmm. in most of the cases I looked at, it ran into real problems because mm -hmm. it really quickly devolved into kind of a ward politic thing people were finally able to deliver to their district something that the district had been wanting for years and could mm -hmm. never get and and you had uh, district reps that were then trading things off with one another i'll vote for your thing if you vote for mm -hmm. my thing and if we get six people ready to vote for everybody else's thing we can each get our thing uh and then you're being guided at that point not by what might be in the best interest of the city generally um and and you need a balance of these things. So when the former government uh, uh, changed, it became, we thought, real important to have somebody coming in as mayor in mm -hmm. that new system uh, that would prioritize trying to make the system work well, kind of the trustee for the rest of us of trying to make uh, uh, help make a, a system because it's going to be brand new. Everything you do is going to be brand new. You'd be institutionalizing brand new things. It's best to, to start it off right and, and to help a group work together. Uh, so we went out and, and tried to recruit somebody to run for mayor. Thought it needed to be somebody that was new because the system was new. Right. Fresh uh, perspective. Fresh yeah. perspective. Um, uh, even though, you know, there were good incumbents that were, that were running really good people. The view was we just needed this is a new perspective on this. Um, and everybody we went to uh, to run that we thought would have been real good said no. So eventually we kind of locked ourselves in the room and said, look, one of us needs to stop what we're doing and go do this. And Diane and I uh, were in a position to be able to, to do it. I drew kind of the short straw. <laughs> and the next thing you know, I'm, I'm mayor. Wow. Were, you, were you shocked when you, when you took office and you're like, oh, now I got all this pressure and were you nervous? Well, you know, I've been in a lot of uh, situations where there was a lot of pressure. Uh, so the pressure didn't get to me. The incoming volume uh, was just absolutely overwhelming. Mm -hmm. uh, and everything about this job is built to make you reactive in this job. Mm -hmm. uh, you could spend 48 hours a day doing nothing but reacting to what comes at you, right. constituent stuff, um, you know, on uh, nine, you know, we could spend all our time doing nothing but handling constituent help calls. And we're able to help most 
of those people that call in, but you can't spend all of your time just doing that. And on any given Monday, there's, there's a whole pile of things that hit the council member desks that somebody's been working on for three months or six months or three mm -hmm. years. And now it's gotten to the point where something has to happen. It wasn't able to get resolved at a lower level. And you have to step in and try to, to mediate those situations or decide right policy. You could spend 48 hours a day recognizing there's only 24. You could spend 48 <laughs> hours a day doing nothing but that. But you can't. Right. But all of that is all reactive. What you really want to do is step out and do stuff that is um, uh, affirmative. You want affordability in the city. You want to step up and do something uh, affirmative about trying to, to preserve the and build a, a music industry and vertical in the city. And it's it's so hard to, to create the time and the, and the dynamic to be able to do that. That that part of the job surprised me. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of I'm older now and uh, <laughs> been here for a long time. Uh, so um, and. So, you know, I'll do this for, for however long I'm, I'm gifted with the chance to do this. Then I'll go do something else. I don't get too caught up in yeah all the stuff that surrounds well, us. One thing I really appreciate about, um, about you is that you're very accessible. And there are mayors out there, I'm sure, like if you want to get in front of the mayor of L.A. or the mayor of another big city, is like there's you have to go through so much. And then when he walks around, there's always a bunch of you know, Mordecade and bodyguards mm -hmm. and all that, but you can catch Steve at Trace having brunch <laughs> <laughs> or at a show somewhere. You know, it, that I think that's, you know, being visible and people are like, oh, it's not this guy in this high, you know, golden tower just dictating things. It's actually out here with us. And I think that goes, that goes a long way. Tiny. Well, thanks. I mean, this is my city too, right? So right. Yeah, you got to be, be out, out there. there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I want to switch gears a little bit. Okay. Um, we, we did a three-part series actually last year about saving Austin music. I know that's the topic that's dear to your heart. Um, and this is actually like a year ago is when the, the uh, recommendation to the omnibus uh, came out. And uh, I want to get a little update on what's happening and where we are and then talk about, you know, aging and change and all the things that are happening. So can you give us a quick update on, on what's going on with the omnibus right now? Sure. Uh, you know, the, the, the omnibus at a really high level, I think you could break it into two categories. Mm -hmm. One is those things that are directed mostly to music and creatives with things that are special to, 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 to music and, and creativity mm -hmm. and city. And then the second is just general affordability issues that, mm -hmm. uh, that hit all of us in the city, uh, generally whether you're a musician or not. Right. So the, 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 if we're actually going to be able to preserve uh, the, the, the music necessary to preserving the, the, the spirit and soul of the city, you have to hit on both of those mm -hmm. frames. And we're trying to work on both of them. Right. So on the mu stuff that's specific to, to music and creativity, you know, we talked um, uh, in that uh, omnibus deal about doing those things that would help strengthen and preserve the music ecosystem and industry so that you could be playing in a garage at 16 and in clubs at, at 22 
But at 45, you could still be in the music industry and, and supporting a family at that right. point. Good career. Career. How do you, so how do you do that? How do you right. go from here to there? And how do you strengthen it at each stage of that, the, the economic return so as to build uh, real sustainability? So we're working on things like Agent of Change. Uh, I had hoped that we would have passed that resolution in uh, in June before we took a break. Right. It wasn't quite baked enough to be able to do that. Uh, but the the concept that we're that we're pushing uh, on that, uh, where you know if you move into an area with a with a home or a hotel and it's a music area, you got to know you're moving into a music area. And if uh, the the club's going to uh, meet the, the the sound standards that we have in the city, then if you move in there, make sure that that's something that you want to be around because it's already there. You can't come in and try to close things down. Same for music clubs. If you go into uh, an area that's a residential area, mm-hmm. you have to recognize you're moving into to a mm-hmm. to a system that already exists. Uh, and I think that's an important thing to do. Associated with that concept. Uh, is the pilot program that grew out of the omnibus that we're running right now at uh, Red River and Knight to to find how it is that we can have both clubs and residents and hotels all coexisting. And not only just coexisting, but coexisting in a way that will let us strengthen the music. So, uh, you know, the best times uh, to to be making money in, in a club is, you know, 10 till... Whenever you close, right, you know you have right. a finite period of time. You know if we could add another thirty minutes to that, another hour to that, uh, you could add be adding twenty five, thirty percent more potentially in revenue. I mean, that would make a huge difference uh, in terms of the sustainability of the industry. So we're piloting and testing that right now, uh, helping to bring in new technologies uh, that exist now that are just amazing in terms of sound direction and capture and. Uh, so that you don't uh, uh, impact the experience of being in the club. Uh, but if you're down the street, you don't necessarily have to share right. in that experience <laughs> if that's not something that you wanted to do. And that's going really well. And, mm-hmm. and and I think because of those kinds of conversations, we're seeing early indications that some of the disputes between clubs and the hotels might actually be finding ways to resolve themselves uh, short of, uh, of litigation. Uh, and so that's encouraging. Uh, we're recognizing that uh, we're losing live music venues in this city because you can't pour enough beer between 10 and 1 to, to pay the rent mm-hmm. uh, as rents are going up in these locations. So how do you preserve those? And, um, you know, teaming now with, we won the, the co- national competition to get a, a new technology disruptor in the bond field, the same way we've seen disruptors in, in, in transportation and disruptors in, in, in contact lenses and mm-hmm. disruptors in anything. The bond disruptor has kind of endorsed uh, and come into Austin and together we're trying to set up the, the, the strike fund for music venues so that we can actually create a, a product where, where everybody in this city can actually invest in preserving in perpetuity, some of the iconic mu- music venues uh, that we have in the city, uh, building off the work of people like Gary Keller, who, who just came in and, and saved uh, Saxon, uh, and, oh, and yeah. building, off, building yeah. off that to, 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 to help empower that kind of work and let it spread to, to other venues. But beyond beyond that, I mean, the city's growing at a rate that's, you know, uh, 
unimaginable. So, I mean, I've been here eight, 19 years, and within the past five years, it seems like the city just doubled out of, out of nowhere. Um, but w- what do you think is the missing link? Is it um, beyond, you know, saving the venues and helping musicians find places to play at? Um, people will come in here, and if they, they find out that, yeah, Austin is the live music capital of the world. We have ACL with a home of South by Southwest and, and all these great um, these great venues and these great festivals. But what can we do to actually push that, that message forward uh, to people who come in here? Because it's not like it used to be where you could tell someone, hey, just walk up and down 6th Street and you'll figure it out. You'll <laughs> find music anywhere you walk. Um, so what is, that, what is that message and what is the, uh, uh, I guess, what is the campaign that we can push out to to tell people that hey we're the capital of the world and this is what that means. Well, you know, the, the, so there's both a, a branding question of that and, and just a general how does the city survive the growth kind of question associated with that. Um, you know, the Austin I think does a fairly decent job of branding itself, where where people understand uh, the importance of music uh, to us. Uh, the, you know, South by Southwest now has reach. Uh, right. in the country and internationally ACL does um, I think we're I think we are seen uh, uh, that way we have to preserve it I mean the real risk for this community is that with the affordability issues um, uh, we're no longer the live music capital world because live music musicians can't afford to live mm-hmm. here right uh, or we don't have the clubs without those we, we're no longer the live music capital of the world so how do you sustain that when a city's growing, and the and the first impulse is to say, well, let's just stop it growing, man. We have, <laughs> we have like enough people here. Oh, Austin's full. No, no <laughs> it. You see all those cranes, and no stopping it. And there is no stopping that. That's nothing. Yeah. That's nothing we can do. Right. The the growth is going to happen. There's only one way to stop the city from growing, and that's to make it an undesirable place to be. You know, and and I don't want to be the mayor who successfully makes Austin an undesirable <laughs> place to be. Uh, so people are going to come. So the question is, how do we manage that? How do we, how, what do you do when that growth is coming? You know, you look at a city like San Francisco, wonderful city, great things happening, progressive place. Right. The median home price in San Francisco right now, north of $1,150,000. Yeah. Okay, we're not there yet. <laughs> Everybody relax. <laughs> no, no, we're not there. But look at cities like Seattle and Boston. Those are cities that are also really cool places. Mm-hmm. They looked at San Francisco. They said, not us. Right. Not us. We're going to be smarter and wiser. We're going to learn from what they did in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And like a tractor beam, they're being pulled in the same place. Uh, The median home price now in Seattle and Boston, north of $650,000. So here we are in Austin. Now we get to watch San Francisco and Boston and Seattle. Uh And we say, what do we have to do that, in fact, is different? How There's not a city in the world. That has been able to look at gentrification issues and affordability issues and figure out what you do. Uh, you know, more people move into town. Uh, people are going to want to live close to downtown. Uh, so now you have, instead of five people bidding on every house that comes up, you now you have 10 people or 15 people or whatever the number is. Mm-hmm. As soon as you have more people that are bidding on limited supply, the prices are going to continue mm-hmm. going up. Right. That's why housing prices in the city are going up three and a half times faster than the incomes. And when housing prices start going up that much faster than incomes, you're going to be pricing people out of the city. Mm-hmm. Now, how? what do you do to combat that? 
Now, there are tools that cities all across the country have that we don't have because our state legislature doesn't want to give cities the tools to actually be able to to, to fight that. Like what? Can you give an example? Well, like, like the linkage fee. You know, the, even just a concept that we said eight months ago, let's sit down and talk about how we can spread across a really, really wide base. The people that are, we're all contributing to this growth. Right. It's creating this problem. If we make the base wide enough, we can we can raise some funds without anybody really feeling it. And let's do it in a constructive way. Just talking about the concept. The legislature this past uh, six months passed a new law that makes it illegal for a city to do that. And you go, wait a second, we haven't even finished the concept yet. But the legislature took that away. Other cities can do things like inclusionary zoning, which is to say, if you you come in, if your property, you know, you zone an area multifamily, mm -hmm. uh, but to to build in that multifamily area, you have to build ten percent of the units at a at an affordable rate. By it's just part of the deal. Mm -hmm. Can't do that in Texas because the legislature has taken that away. Rent controls that you have in some cities. Legislature's taking away the right to be That's just frustrating. We should be, I mean, Austin is an island in Texas, really. But we do have some tools. Okay. And we're creating new tools. Uh, and so by no means are we like throwing in the towel. We just, this is an innovative, creative city, and we just need to be innovative and creative. And we are. And we're trying new things. The Code Next process that we're going through now mm -hmm. is one way for us to increase supply in the city so that uh, we can start meeting the demand. But it's also an opportunity for us to be able to use the tools that we do have to start creating pockets and enclaves of affordability throughout the city so that we have mixed income uses all over the city. So we are, we are fighting back. So, I mean, we do have a lot of resources. I mean, we have a hundred plus music related nonprofits, for example, which I think is a lot, maybe too many, you know, maybe they should, you know, merge or, or something because it becomes overwhelming, overwhelming it and hard to navigate. I mean, there's all these programs going on. You have ASAP that just uh, launched recently, correct? Uh, you have the pilot program, you have, you know, the music foundation, you have Black Fred, and all these people fighting the same fight. You know, we're all trying to preserve Austin as a live music capital of the world. I mean, we're doing the podcast. It's mm -hmm. been three years we've been doing this, you know, and and the, the what I noticed during the Omnibus, um, those town hall meetings that we did for like three months or so, is that there was a lot of people doing things. But they were not aware of who else was doing what, and the, the the overall message that I got out of it was, oh, the city's trying to move in the right direction. That's great, and we all support it. But we can't wait for the city to do something, and that might not be that might not even be part of what your responsibility is as a city. Uh, but we need to keep grinding and collaborate more, and not necessarily rely on the city as much, but um, ask for their support. Does that is that something that that resonates with me on two different levels? Mm -hmm. uh, the first one is is that you're 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 absolutely right. We have tons of of nonprofits and organizations to help people. In fact, my understanding is that there are more nonprofits per capita in Austin, Texas, than any other city in the country. Austin, fill in the blank. We just have <laughs> yeah, we have most nonprofits and most bars per capita. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and maybe there's a relationship between those two. Just saying. <laughs> uh, so uh, the thought of, of really 
getting to the place where you build the efficiencies and we and we really pull people together so we're not duplicating services and so that right. any individual doesn't have um, uh, you know a hundred different choices of which you can only really know about eight of them which means there's 92 that are out there that might be right. able to help him but he doesn't ever know about it to actually get it to a place where everybody knows where to go and, and people aren't doing duplicated services and, and resources are being used most efficiently mm-hmm. is something that we have now set up here just recently in the workforce development community, job training to get, we pulled everybody in the room and we said, Hey, let's pick three goals and then let's figure out how as a collective we go after those three goals. Mm-hmm. Give me, give me one benchmark that mm-hmm. in three years we can measure how we're successful or not. <clears throat> and now let's have everybody working against that benchmark. We're, we're about to do the same thing in the homelessness uh, area with a lot of service providers. Mm-hmm. We have to do the same thing in the music industry too. So I think you're dead on right about that because uh, I think we could be more efficient and, and be more sustainable and actually drive the, the goals and the metrics better than we do. The second thing is, is that, you know, before I got elected to mayor, I was on a lot of nonprofits and a lot of boards. Uh, and we did as much as we could in the community. And my perception was always that we were doing really good work to help support what it is that the government did. Mm-hmm. But now I'm sitting in this chair and I'm looking out at what everybody does in the community. And I realized I had it backwards. I mean, really what's happening in this community is helping people is happening outside of governments. Right. And government at best fills in the gaps mm-hmm. between what it is that the community is doing. So, so your second point, I think, is also right, too. You can't wait for the government to do these things. The resources don't exist in the government to be able to do all the things that we need to do, which is why we have to be creative and innovative. We have to figure out what are the formulas that actually work, the, mm-hmm. the strike fund to be able to raise private money, to be able to not only just raise private money, but not just as a gift, but to be able to give people a, a little bit of a return on an investment um, will help us begin to compete. And it's those kinds of ideas we're testing now. So... Um Here's an idea, and I threw I threw that out at uh, Gavin and Jennifer and Don last year when I did the podcast here. Look at the ACVB, which pretty much owns the the moniker, right? Like the capital of the world, like they take they're in charge of the tourism. When people come to Austin, whether you're a business and you're looking for hotels, looking to see what's happening, um, you know what are some of the you know, iconic music venues, and here's some links to you know. KUTX, and here's some links to some other organizations. But there are a separate entity from the government. They have their own team. They have their own marketing team. They have their own financing, I I would assume. And they take in money from the hotel occupancy uh, tax, correct? Yes. So, but they're, because they're their own entity, they have more flexibility on how to operate. So, would it make sense to have something similar to that, but just in charge of music where it takes things, you know, off your hands and off the I mean, it's things that still have, still have to go through city council, of course, but at least marketing music, you know, the right way and just focusing on that, whether exporting our artists outside of Austin and working with businesses. We have Google, we have Microsoft, we have Facebook. Um, so th- there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of players and a lot of people operating in silos. And when we need collaboration, it seems that there's so much going on that it's overwhelming. And we're looking for, okay, who can we look up to 
that can help us connect the dots. I think that makes really good sense. And it's something I hope that we actually fund here before the year is over. Really? Uh, so uh, one of the debates that we have in this community right now is whether or not to expand the convention center. Mm-hmm. People are on all sides of that issue. Mm-hmm. My concerns with my concerns with expanding convention center is that we create another kind of dead space in downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the ground floor of the convention center right now, you know, you don't have a lot of restaurants or retail, so it's kind of dead area for pedestrians in that area. Uh, the second concern is is that when you do an expansion, you can screw up the, the grid system of roads because mm-hmm. you place things on multiple blocks. Mm-hmm. And the last concern I have is that we're losing the ad valorem tax revenue that comes from the height, you know, being able to put towers on that property. And we need that ad valorem tax revenue in order to be able to fund you know, pocket parks throughout the city or right. clinics throughout the city, the things we use the general fund for. The convention center now has come back and said, okay, how about a design where the bottom two floors are, are retail, restaurant, ah, pedestrian right. space? Hmm. And the convention center, in essence, floats in, in floors right. three through seven. And then we have on top of that towers that get built up wow. so that you still have <laughs> the, the, the private like tax residence. Oh, it could be office, well, office buildings, buildings or whatever huh. it is that generates property huh. tax revenue right. mm-hmm. for the city to be able to spend. Well, that hits my concerns with the convention center. But then I said, if we're actually going to do that, how do we start? How do we use the convention center as a tool to be able to raise funding that we wouldn't otherwise be able to raise if we didn't do a convention center? So a convention center on its own I mean, brings in money for hotels, for right. people who run restaurants, for 100,000 people that are related to that work. But, but how can we use it to actually generate an income stream to to be able to finish out the phase two and three of the MAC, for example? Mm-hmm. Or how do we raise the money to be able to fund on a, a several million dollars of income every year to be put not to, to music, you know, not but not the cultural arts music, not the nonprofit music, which mm-hmm. we we're already funding, but to create a separate income stream to to actually work on the music to industry. Fund my idea. <laughs> and, I'm gonna work with you. <laughs> and that's the idea. In fact, uh, that's the idea that, that uh, we've been talking about, and just came out from a, from a task force looking at the hot tax. I'm gonna post something here in the next few days uh, publicly on the bulletin board with the council, where I'm gonna be looking at all the different funding streams, all the different projects, and I'm gonna put them all in one page and say, you know, we could actually do this. We could deliver improving 6th Street. We could improve doing something in the in the entertainment district at 9th and Red River. We could actually fund preservation mm-hmm. uh, downtown. Uh, we do something with the Palm School. Mm-hmm. We can we can bring online the, the Waller Creek Linear Park. That would be something for the entire city to be able to use. Create another venue, by the way, for, uh, for, for music performance right. uh, in the city. Where we could do all that right now. And one big component of it, I think, is what you're talking about. Wow. He's gonna, you just ruined us. He's going to be talking about that for the next couple of months. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been talking about it for a year. Actually, I've been talking about it for a year because I, I, I told Gavin about it and he was like, yeah, this is a great idea. We'll explore whatever. And I'm glad to see there's something happening in, the, in that direction. That, that was just, I saw the ACVB and I thought it was a great model. And why not have something like that just for music that takes care of the venues, the artists, the creative spaces and so on? Well, uh, a lot of times people have really good ideas, but there'll be no funding to back it up so it doesn't move. Right. right. I'm trying now to help develop the income stream. Mm-hmm. So now we can say, okay, if we had an income stream, 
that was over $3 million a year. Now what is the best structure to be built around? So be part of that discussion because I'm going to try and help make the money available. And then the community has to decide, okay, what structure do we use to, to use that money? Right. Well, when you have that meeting, let me know. The whole community will know. <laughs> and he's gonna when he's here, he's gonna come in with a uh, sandwich from Slab. Why don't you go and talk yes. about that? So <laughs> this episode is also brought to you by Slab Barbecue. You ever had Slab Barbecue? I have not. Oh, you have to try it. Yeah, it's two locations. Okay. Uh, one on one eighty three and Burning Road next to Sherlock's, uh, and a new location at Oak Hill, uh, at the Y and. Great barbecue. You'd have a sandwich, sandwich called the Notorious P.I.G. with pulled pork, uh, topped with mustard, coleslaw, backyard red. And they have one called the Dunk, which is all their meats and all their sauces. It's one pound of meat. Like, don't take any sides with that, with that kind of sandwich. Oh, wow. But it's good. Yum. Uh, so they do, they do delivery, pickup, catering as well. Uh, treat yourself with some dope barbecue. Mention the feedback at checkout for 10% off your meal. Uh, make sure when you go there, don't plan a lot afterwards because I almost always get the itis afterwards. So yeah, don't go don't, don't <laughs> go there for lunch because if yeah. you have a dunk for lunch, you're done. You're not going to get anything done for the rest of the day. Right. It's like that. But it's really really good uh, good barbecue. So shout out to our friends over at Slab. Um, I want to in, in in the same vein as what we've been talking about. You know, Austin is growing. It's a fact. Um, when you see all these lists that said, you know, best city for filling the blank quality of life mm-hmm. for food for music for education tacos for healthy tacos. healthy living yeah, tacos <laughs> you gonna get him started on tacos <laughs> bring back the war with san antonio yeah right um <laughs> uh, but but it, it seems that you know austin has an identity crisis in a sense that it wants to remain this hip town you know young and dynamic and uh you know, with the music and you can be, you can come here with a guitar with and a dream and make it happen. And in the meantime, there's all this money coming in and, uh, and it's growing at a really fast rate and it's turning into a bigger city. You know, now it's not Austin anymore. It's Georgetown, Pflugerville, Round Rock, Austin, San Marcos, you know, <laughs> all the way down almost to San Antonio. Um, so how do you reconcile the two? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I would begin with saying that the one constant in Austin for the 40 years that I have been here mm-hmm. has been change. Change is not bad. I mean, you, we just want to change in a way that is Austin. So on the one hand, I, I lament the fact that, that uh, the, the armadillo isn't here. Right. I lament the fact that mm-hmm. the original Liberty Lunch uh, <laughs> is, not, is, not, is not here. Uh, and they leave, and you look at that, and you go, "Well, we lost a little piece of Austin." Right. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we have the Alamo Draft House. Now mm-hmm. that feels like Austin a lot, and uh, we export that culture out of Austin. And yeah, we sure. export, but that, but that was not here. That is part of the change. Mm-hmm. So, so when I look at this city, I still love this city right now. There, are, there are things about this city that I that I think are that I love. And not all of them were here 40 years ago. Right. Uh, so we continue to, to, to grow and we evolve and we change. We just have to make sure that we change in a way that preserves what's special about the spirit and soul here. Which means that we have to figure out how to do this in a way that preserves diversity, that prefer, preserves access for people and opportunity for people. And I think that if we're able to do that, then we'll, we'll change in a in a in a in the way it is that we're supposed to. San Francisco is a great city, uh, 
Uh, but when you lost the middle class in, in San Francisco, mm-hmm. which doesn't exist now, you're either really wealthy to live there or you're subsidized to live there. There's nothing in the middle. Mm-hmm. You, you become a city that is no longer a, a, a producer of art. You live in a city that is a consumer of mm-hmm. art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as soon as that happens, then you start having just national and regional uh, music and shows and things that are coming up. You're not making it anymore. You're just... You're, you're consuming it and 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 that we have to hold on to Austin Austin is where 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 good ideas become real uh, that that we can send out it is it is the place where we create art and that's what we need to, to fight for and I think I think we can do that in fact I think the very money that's coming in that is that is and making values go up as the market grows as more and more people want to come here Mm -hmm. it is exactly that same resource that will enable us to be able to preserve pockets of mixed income opportunity because that costs money to do to be able to funnel it and challenge it and capture it but can we go to facebook or apple and say hey you're part of this city and the the price to pay to be part of the city is you have to contribute to what we have going on you can't just show up and be like, oh, we're going to start a campus. Yeah, I bring a lot of jobs, which is great. But there are ways that you can help as an international business to make sure that, yeah, you came here for a reason. And this is who we are. And we want to preserve that. And here's how you you can contribute to that culture. Is that something that, that's happening? or Absolutely. It is something that is important to happen. And <clears throat> even with uh, some of the companies you mentioned, it is happening okay. uh, where they give back to the community. But we live in Texas. So, so <laughs> yeah, forget about that ways. sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> is that the only thing wrong with Austin? Is it in Texas? Yeah, it's just Texas, man. <laughs> so there's a limit to, to what we can force any company to do. But we can control what we do. Mm-hmm. So uh, an incentive program. City has incentive programs where we can give incentives to, to companies so that they locate here or build here. You know, we could target that. We could say, you know something, we're going to do incentives because it's an important tool for us to have, but we're going to use these incentives. We're going to invest in companies that actually create middle-income jobs in our city. Or we're going to invest in companies that are willing to train the people who live here for middle-income jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that is what we should be doing. We should be taking the tools we do have and channeling them and directing them back to the outcomes that we want and in order to be able to preserve diversity. Uh, and an opportunity in our in our city, um, and we do have a lot of of the corporate entities that voluntarily do it, um, um, but we have to be more focused as a government to make sure that everything that we do has that frame and filter in the back right. of our minds. You know, we created uh, an equity office uh, in the city. It's the first time we've done that. We've done that in the last year. It's just building out now. So that there is somebody in city government who wakes up every morning, goes to sleep every night, where that is the sole thing they are focused on in looking at everything the city does. Mm-hmm. Now, equity ought to be part of what everybody does in the city all of the time. That said, if you're in charge of public works, you wake up in the morning, you go to sleep at night, you're trying to think, you're thinking about the projects you have to complete, mm-hmm. right? So while you should be thinking about equity, it's really not the first and last thing you're going to think about. But now we have a department in the city that looks at everything that's happening in the city, and that's the only thing that they look at. So you, you need to, to, to take the tools you have and be very deliberate and focused. 
about maintaining and preserving and building equity in the city. That's why we did the, the task force on institutional racism and systemic inequities, because you have a system that's historically not designed to to end up with that in that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so we just had to be delivered. That's how Facebook fund that music entity thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's well, an idea. Yeah, I think you make a good point back and, and, and you as well, Steve, that um you know a lot of a lot of companies move here because of the culture and because it's cool. When you get here it's easy to recruit employees because they want to move to Austin. It's like very hip city, still affordable ish, um, compared to San Francisco and other other contemporaries of it. But the very same culture they come here for they they raise the stakes of prices that it actually pushes that culture out, right? It's a, right. a balance of that. And so you think this equity office is part of going to help look at some of those companies moving in and 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 what the city's direction, providing incentives, and provide some sort of um, direction on that, on how they can assist? With that in mind, what do you see that happening maybe like a year or two? Like what do you, now that it's brand new, what do you see, where do you see it impacting in a year or two or three down the line? You know, I think the first thing it's going to create is kind of an equity tool. Uh, so it's going to be a way for every department and every employee to be able to self-evaluate what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a deliberate process to force people to go through the exercise that you hope eventually we will drive by just culture and right. intuition and, and, and non-intention. It'll just happen. But until we get to that place, you know, it's kind of like the pilot, you know, who probably knows how to start the airplane, but actually has a checklist and they, oh, right. and they go through each mm-hmm. thing to make sure they don't miss a step. That's kind of what the equity tool is. And we want to develop that and then have everybody in the city uh, using that, that tool. On the incentive issue, the Economic Development Department of the city is actually holding public hearings right now mm-hmm. to design that. And in the next... A uh, couple months, they're going to come back to the council to say, okay, you want us to grade incentives differently? You want us to do a different metric that drives these other things that we that we need? We're going to get that back here in the next two, three months, I think, because um, I want us to move forward on that. So we're, we're, we are, we are. We are pedaling as fast as we can. And as Juggling quite a bit at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So to go back to that, I think that Austin is great at importing things. We bring the, the, the tech companies, we bring people during SoftBuy, we bring people during ACL, but at, is there um, uh, a sense of Austin is too Austin in a sense that we don't export as much? So like if you're an artist, if you don't get out of Austin, then you're going to have a hard time because of all the issues we just talked about. If you're a startup and you don't, you're trying to build something here at a capital factory or any of those uh, incubators here in town. If you don't take that somewhere else, whether it's California or even the East Coast, then it's, it's not going to work. It, do you think Austin is too Austin sometimes and it needs to little, you know, run on bubble too much? Yeah. Well, there's no question, but that, that we need to be exporting more. We need to, because that, that builds opportunities for people who are here. It builds opportunities for more jobs. It, it helps people to be able to sustain their businesses and their careers. So we need to do that. Um, you know, I've, I've been making multiple international trips uh, with an eye to doing that. You know, mm-hmm. I've now spent time in, in, in England and Dublin and, and in that part of the world. Last summer I was in Asia and in China and, and Singapore and uh, uh, Korea, mm-hmm. uh, uh, among other countries in that area. Uh, I've been down in Mexico, multiple cities, mm-hmm. uh, trying and trying to increase the the, the international flights that we have mm-hmm. as a city. Uh, I've met with uh, with Aliaba, 
in in China and said, "Hey, let's have like some Austin focus here. But let's put some of Austin out on your uh, platform." Met with them multiple times, and we just we were the second city they went to in the country. Uh, where we had some startups in the area able to pitch on on oh, wow. on, on to to what have four hundred million people or something on that <laughs> platform, <laughs> so that is top of mind to me. Uh, you know, even at, at all different scales. Just a few days ago, I was what with the winners or the the six local artists that were picked for the AT six right. uh, effort. You know, those are Austin ambassadors. You're taking six. Uh, musicians or, or groups and, and helping send them out to mm-hmm. communities outside of Austin so that they can build that 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 base and, and enter into contracts outside of the city. Um, our economic development department was holding uh, uh, holds now seminars and meetings and classes uh, with small businesses in the city about how you build out to um, uh, international uh, markets. So you're absolutely right. I mean. Um, as we grow as a city, mm-hmm. if we're going to be able to sustain the diversity in the city, it's going to require us to be better at getting out of, at getting mm-hmm. outside the city. I mean, case in point, uh, I know the Kimpton Hotel, uh, the Van Zandt right here, mm-hmm. like they took KP and Boom Boom to Hawaii. You know, Body Rock is going on tour with the hotel throughout July to mm-hmm. throw events around the country. So it, it's things... It, I knew about the AT6, the, the six uh, bands that, that get to, to travel and play out, but I, we all want to see more of that. I mean, you look at Gary Clark Jr., who's been born and raised here, and he he just recently, like, he's an international star, and you're like, well, he had to get out to for that mm-hmm. to happen, you know, and, and, and even more for artists than anything else, so... Uh, now, I remember, mean, too, that's how South By started, right? Yeah, So exactly. 30 years ago, South By was about taking really, really good local artists yeah. and saying, how is it that you get out to the region or get out to the nation? So it, w- it was like a dating service, right? It was it was to let artists here locally meet the distribution chains and the, and the, and the, and, and the investors that would provide the capital mm-hmm. for them to be able to reach out. Um, and so that is, is a constant deal, but more important now than, than ever before. South well, By was the original music Tinder. Swipe right if you like to start it. It's the left if you don't. I'll switch to a little politics. I know there's a big uh, beef going on, I guess, between you and uh, Governor Abbott over sanctuary cities. It is beef, right? At this point, <laughs> it is. Where's Where's the beef? Where's the beef? Well, you know, here's my perspective on that. I I don't understand it. Um, cities, you know, I'm I'm really proud to be part of the city, and I'm proud to be part of the city in part. Because our, our unemployment rate is a full point lower than it is around the state. We have, we're the safest big city in, yeah. the, in, the, in the state. We have uh, way more than our fair share of the patents and the venture capital. We're doing something right mm-hmm. uh, in this city. Cities are not bubbles to protect the past. Cities are the, the incubators of, of innovation. We are forward-looking. Mm-hmm. Where We create the jobs and for, the, for the state. We are the economic engines for the state. State. I'm I'm a really proud Texan, uh, and and I and I would want my city to be able to share and participate in helping to make this state strong. Uh, and part of that, I think, requires cities to be different. I mean, Austin is different than Houston, different mm-hmm. than Dallas, different from San Antonio, and that difference, I think, is really good. 
you know, in a cyclical market, there'll be some cities that are doing better at certain times than others. When the when the energy market goes low, Houston's going to suffer. We need other cities that are not on that cycle that'll help. When the financial market goes low, Dallas mm-hmm. isn't going to be able to carry us. The others are going to have to step in. When when medical or, or, or tourism goes low, mm-hmm. we're going to help San Antonio. I mean, every city's it's a diversified portfolio of cities that this state should be celebrating. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't understand why it is that with cities being such an incubator of what is Texas future, uh, the way that we keep this state strong and preserve what it is special about being a Texan, uh, why would we would be in this? To me, you know, obviously we're caught in, 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 in a rhetorical political, debate that seems to be something happening in the Republican Party that 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 the rest of the state has to has to has to suffer through and 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 it's really unfortunate because it is not in the best interest of this state Uh, this city and the other cities have wonderful things to be sharing uh, and and helping to to make our state strong Uh, so so I don't understand that I I don't understand the bathroom bill that seems to be such a self-inflicted wound. With with Who cares with, at <laughs> with, yeah, I know, with with all the police chiefs and in, in so many of them in the in the coming in and saying, "Don't do Senate Bill Four; it'll make us less safe, not right. not more safe." I don't understand why 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 we end up why we end up doing that. You know, I look at the legislature and I think what everybody wants the legislature to do is to help with property taxes. Because property taxes are going up, it's making people lose their homes and move away. Seventy-five percent of the property tax increase that people are feeling in Austin uh-huh. is directly because of the state legislature's failure to fix the school finance system. It's not city taxes, not county taxes. It's 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 the school taxes. Seventy-five percent of the increase we have been feeling is because the legislature won't fix the school finance system. And and now they're spending their time on trees. I don't understand <laughs> if they would if they would just a special session. A special session on trees. Why won't they do the one thing that everybody wants them to do? That's we what they get them out or change them or something. <laughs> you know, one of my big things when it came to uh you know, big topics here is uh ride sharing. We did a whole episode Last year, when when uh, Uber and Left left, you know, the vote that that happened, and you know, I was conflicted when the state legislature state legislature recently passed that passed a law um, that basically overrode any local municipal laws about ride sharing. And on one side, I was glad to have Lyft back. I take Lyft a lot. On the other side, I, I didn't really like the fact that you said it multiple times throughout this interview. Uh, the state overriding what the city's doing, right? It was just another example of them taking away that power. Any, any thoughts on that, even particularly around ride sharing and that aspect of it and what happened? Yeah, well, you know, one, I like ride sharing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was an early adopter of, mm-hmm. of, of ride sharing, and, and, and it quickly became a real integral part of my, part of my life. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that I was not successful in being able to do as mayor of the city was trying to head off that dispute a year and a half ago right. when, it, when it arose. Uh, you know, I had some people in my council all the way this way and mm-hmm. some people in my council all the way the other way. Uh, and I wanted us to find a solution that wouldn't have had to have anybody leave town, right. but would have been able to give people in the community choices. And we came so close to getting it done. And what really pissed me off back then was is that it was the companies that wouldn't hang 
long enough for us to fix that uh, right. because they thought they could just put it to an election and win a vote. And I sat with them and I said, don't do that. Don't do it. We don't need to go there. We can actually work this out. I mean, I, you know, this is not a city that's trying to impose 19th century regulations right. on a new industry. This is like one of the most creative, innovative places. Let's figure out what the intersection is of, of safety interests or choice interests. And mm-hmm. we can do this. And that can be a model you can take to the rest of the world. But they were so sure they could win the election, they put it to a vote. Well, as soon as they did that, then then I, I was stopped out. Right. right. At that point, everything now is set in motion. I can't talk to them because we have to have the election and nothing we can do could pull down the election. Mm-hmm. The election turned out just the way that I thought that it would. I knew they were going to lose. Not because people didn't like Uber and Lyft. There were a lot of people who voted against Uber and Lyft who liked Uber and Lyft. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they but they said to to what you're saying is you just shouldn't be able to, to walk in and you have to sit and talk to people. Right. You can't just come in and impose your will. Yeah. You can't do that. So 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 I w- I've been conflicted this whole thing. I, I didn't want... I wanted us to find the solution. I didn't want to have the vote. The vote itself, you know, to me was more about uh, the city kind of sticking up for itself. So I was proud with the result because right. people stood up for the city. But at the same time, the vote didn't get me to where it was that we ultimately wanted to be. There was right. no good vote in that. I didn't like either of the votes in that other than I voted to, 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 defend, my, to defend my city. Then it goes to the state legislature. State legislature preempts us. You know, it's kind, of, <laughs> you know, kind of what you expected to have happen. Yeah. And now, now they're back. And, uh, you know, I, I'll still, and, and with that, you know, comes innovations and, and new technologies. And that's what Austin's always about. You know, I'm, I'm real, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of the companies that stepped forward to kind of fill that vacuum. Uh, and I think the city as a whole, um, you know, it, it needs to be real appreciative that as a community, we stepped into to an area that in other cities, no one steps into that vacuum. Right. But right. in our city, we were able to do that. That made me proud of, of who we were as a city. But, you I mean, to me, so much of that, that's in my kind of like my rearview mirror at this point. Okay. We have mobility issues in the city. Yeah. We need everybody focused on those. That's everybody focused on those uh, kinds of issues. Old companies, new companies, old new companies. Everybody in the city needs to be there. The whole rideshare thing just is unfortunate that we lost a year and a half. Right. Yeah. Uh, of progress because, in that area. Yeah, because I, I, I think that if I had had three more weeks a year and a half ago, I would have been able to avoid oh. the whole thing. But Short follow-up on this topic. Um, Google and others and Uber and what have you um, are looking to do like automation for cars, right? Self, self-driving self and that kind of taxi service. Has there been talk with them with between City of Austin and Google? I know they have some of the cars you're testing at least at one point. Um, is there anything anything happening with that in the now or in the immediate future? Well, yeah, they've been here testing, continue to be here testing. Uh, and you know that the, the very first real, truly independent, automated ride took place in, in Austin. Uh, very, very first one. A um, uh, blind gentleman from California was flown in. He was put into uh, one of the Google, Google now Waymo, uh, uh, cars. Uh, not on a closed track, not with a police escort. Mm-hmm. Just get in the car. You're by yourself. Go. Wow. First time that? that happened in the world. It was uh, October of 15. Oh, wow. Which kind of makes Austin, Texas, the Kitty Hawk 
of autonomous vehicles. <laughs> yes, you we're, can repeat we're that. We expected that in 2000. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to switch gears before we get to Trump because I don't, I don't know we don't might not have much time left. Okay. Uh, we ask people to submit questions uh, to ask you. So I want Byron to take that over, and then we we'll get to Trump for a little bit on the lighter side of things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, to light things up. Okay. So we've uh, got some questions from people on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, so. Thanks, everyone, for submitting your questions. First one is from Not Mary Smith on Instagram. It's a pretty easy question. Besides being a cool mayor, what do you like to do in your free time? They buttered you up at first, huh? What free time? <laughs> <laughs> Not watch yeah. TV. Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't get a lot of free time. You know, Diane and I, you know, when we escape, we'll sometimes go walk down and watch an indie movie. Mm. Uh, you know, kind of a way to, to escape. Uh, I have a, a, a little sailboat on, on Lake Travis uh, that I used to use a lot, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I don't now, but, uh, you know, kind of my heart's still still out there because I just love being on the water. And, mm-hmm. and, um, but a lot of it, you know, when I get free time now, my th- I have three girls, uh, and um, your time just gets so eaten up in this job that every chance I get to be able to spend time with, uh, with them, uh, I have two that now live in New York and one that lives in Portland. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes we'll kind of duck out uh, to, to, to see them. Um, and, and um, you know, I, I have such limited time in this job. It is a gift, but it is a finite period of time. Uh, so you want to use every moment of that time as best you can to do justice to this. So not a lot of free time. <laughs> Double right. thanks to Mayor Adler for taking that free time and being on a podcast today. So just want to yeah, do that again. This uh, is work. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Go ahead. Uh, next question is from a good friend of ours, DJ K. Kelly on Instagram. She wants to know, what are your top five favorite songs? Um, may not have to be top five, but you know, any favorite songs that you, like you wake up in the morning in and you have to hear this song to put you in a good mood at six in the morning before <laughs> going to a meeting you know the the truth is is that when i get up in the morning and i start singing songs in the in the shower i will invariably go back to the songs i grew up with my dad um you know my dad actually when uh when he got out of the navy uh went to uh to to, to la and and wrote lyrics for sam cook Ooh, wow. Uh, but um, uh, I I will probably just work through, you know, uh, a Nat King Cole hmm. uh, album. Oh. Nice. You haven't heard the new Jay-Z album, have you? <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, but, I, but I, when, I, when I gave the uh, commencement address at uh, HT, I, uh, I, I quoted Jay-Z. Oh. Much to the to the, the, oh, they loved it. the Very <laughs> apropos, too, with Jay-Z coming and headlining at ACL this year. Yeah. Right, next next question is from Timothy Abbott on Facebook. Is there any talk about tax breaks for musicians who are homeowners? You have to count that idea among those ideas that the state legislature uh, doesn't give cities the ability to be able to do. Oh, uh, so that's a state issue that they just said State no? issue. We just can't give exemptions from from taxes or target taxes the way that other cities can do. Now, that said, we have to be creative about what we do, and there may be ways for us to, to, to use the, the, the optional voluntary incentive program uh, that exists to, to drive a similar result. But the last thing I would do 
would be to discuss that on a podcast as the special session is beginning. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> for fear, for fear that anything I'm like, what did he I say? say? Let's target that. <laughs> Let's target. Let's <laughs> just isolate that clip right there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, next question is from Mark Kendrick. Uh, this was touched on a little bit earlier, but he wants to know: people seem to hate traffic and uh, the same time hate condos that are going up. How can we educate Austinites on the benefits of density? Well, you know, uh, density gives us two uh, benefits uh, right off the bat. Uh, density. Now, remember, density, when people use the word density, I'm never really sure if what's in their mind, what they're, what they're seeing or hearing when we use that word. I'll okay. give you an example. If I take a house in the middle of a neighborhood that looks like all the other houses in the neighborhood, and I let someone tear it down and build something that's twice as big, that's a change in density, right? Mm-hmm. I don't support that in the middle of neighborhoods. Okay. On the other hand, if I take that same house and I let somebody cut it into two homes, in other words, duplex that existing structure, mm-hmm. when you drive down the street, it looks exactly the same in the neighborhood. But now you have a unit that each of those two units will sell for less than what the single family unit sells for on either side. Mm-hmm. So I now I've created two opportunities where there was just one opportunity and I've created an opportunity that costs less than what that house would have cost by itself. I support that kind of density okay, because it's increasing the number of units. Um, and I especially support that at the perimeter. It's not in the middle of neighborhoods, but along corridors and in transition zones. So one thing that you get from density is an increase in supply. If we could, if we could have supply of housing in the city that rose up to meet demand, then we wouldn't have the price increases mm-hmm. that we're seeing because there's a relationship between lack of supply as it relates to demand and prices that are going up. If you have 40 people bidding on a house, the price is going to go up higher. The other thing that density gives us, like in a condo structure, is that's where the city earns its ad valorem tax revenue, its property tax revenue. So if I'm living in in northeast Austin or southeast Austin mm-hmm. or anywhere in the city and I want a pocket park in my neighborhood, I want the city to come in and invest and build a pocket park in my neighborhood because we don't have enough parks mm-hmm. in the neighborhood, where does that money come from? If you want a pocket park in your neighborhood or a clinic in your neighborhood, the, what you should be rooting to happen is another condo building to be built downtown. Because that's where the revenue comes from to be able to pay for those things. So, uh, you know, there are challenges that come with that density and with the condo building. It's not all perfectly good, <laughs> right. right? So we have to deal with those two. But your question was, what are the benefits of that? Right. And the two that educate come, people. To educate benefits. people. Those two things right off the mind. It helps with supply, which will bring down, is one of the factors we need to look at to bring down price. Mm-hmm. And the second is, it, that's where the that's the economic engines for being able to do the things in communities, neighborhoods that we want to be able to do. Good answer. Cool. All yes. right, got one more here. This is from Paul O'Brien. Is driving affordability really the solution? And if so, how can government policy in a capitalist economy force affordability? People will continue to move to Austin. Developers will continue to build, and appealing parts of town are always, um, well, always unless the economy collapses appreciate and value 
That's very true. Uh, but I still think that there are things that the government can do. There are two ways you make things more affordable. You make things cost less or you give people, help people get more money to be able to spend. And we need as a city to be working on both of those. So in an area where I have prices that are going up and people can build, you're right. You know, the question being asked is absolutely right. Prices are going to go up as more and more people want to live there. But if I say to somebody, you know, the, the highest you can build is two stories. That's all you can build. But I'll tell you what, I will let you build a third story in this particular location because it fits. But because it's optional, I can't force you to put in one or two affordable units. But I can say to you, you have no right to go a third story. But if you want to go a third story, then you have to put in a couple affordable units in there. Now, the property owner can decide whether to do it or not. We're not forcing anything on them. Mm -hmm. But if they want to get the extra income from having a third floor, mm -hmm. then that's the obligation. So there are ways for us as a city to be able to build in uh, affordability and mixed income opportunities. We're going to have a bond election uh, probably in November of 18, uh, where we will hold an election and ask for people to, uh, to, to help with a bond for affordable housing in the city. That's the second way you do that. The other way that you deal with affordability, other than making things cost less, is you help people get more money to spend. So we need to get a lot more focused on job training in the city. You know, we create more middle-skill jobs than, than any city in the country does, Austin, Texas. The problem we have in Austin is we don't have people in the city that are skilled to take those jobs. This doesn't require a college education. These are jobs that require, uh, you know, a two-year degree from the community college or even a certificate, or in some cases, just some classes. But we have 40,000 people looking for work, and we have 40,000 of those jobs, and they don't match up with each other. So we end up having to hire people from outside the city to come in and take these. these, these, these taking our jobs. <laughs> because, but wouldn't it be better if we trained the people who live here to be able to take those jobs? So we can do those kinds of things, and that also helps with the food building. Right. There was one last question um, from our good friend uh, Rebecca Reynolds about to go back to the Asian Exchange. And um, are you optimistic about neighborhoods and hotels and music community working together to build Asian Exchange uh, policy that serve each that serve uh, each of them? Yes, I'm. 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 I'm absolutely. Uh, 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 I absolutely believe that we're going to be able to work that out. Uh, in fact, the, the recent lawsuit that was filed looks like it was just settled, mm. uh, you know, with the Nook. Mm -hmm. uh, in the, in the hotel. Is it settled? I've heard that. Oh. We'll uh, double check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> double, double, double check. Slow back on everyone watching. It's between the Nook and I think it was West End. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, it, it was, was a, there was a conflict of the noise of noise. Conflict of noise? And they sued them for a million dollars, and they moved like a block away from Nook. And Asian Chain is not in effect right now, so... But I think that some of the principles that we're trying to put into the agent of change may have helped guide and direct the resolution oh, okay. of that action. Ah. Uh, the, 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 the pilot that we're doing right now uh, on, on, on Santa Noise, that, that pilot with the clubs that are there at, uh, on Red River mm -hmm. and Ninth, uh, as we're, we're involving the neighborhoods in that, all the way up to Hyde Park. Uh, and, and we're looking at some preliminary results from that that make it look like we may actually begin to get a handle on the noise as well as increasing the, the revenue that those clubs are earning so that they can, they can pay bands more. The, mm -hmm. the support staff uh, gets an extra uh, you know, hour or so to be able to earn income. Uh, so uh, I, I have high hopes for that. You know, the people who live here love the city. And, and this is not a case that we have a city with good guys and bad guys. I mean, we have 
bunches of really good guides that love this city, mm-hmm. that appreciate wherever they are. They appreciate it, that it is the spirit and soul of the city. That is one of the reasons that they're here. Everybody wants to protect that. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, people have different ideas of how you do that. Right. But when you take people generally of goodwill and with the same and put them in a room and say, okay, look, you know, we have to solve for this. We all need the same thing at the end of the day. Let's solve for this. My experience in Austin is that this is a community that can rise above that and actually find real answers. Well, I, I think that to follow up on uh, Rebecca's question, that model of bringing everybody to the table and coming up with a solution is something that needs that we need to see more. Uh, when I was going through the the bus, all this the city hall, um, not city hall, the town hall meeting. Sorry, you know, I saw a lot of artists in the room. You know, most of them were in their fifties, uh, and then people, nonprofits, people were involved. I'm like, where are the college kids? You know, where are the young artists who just want to be part of this uh, conversation? Where are the the, the companies, the tech companies were here. Where is music technology? So it, it, it feels like, like we, like we said earlier, you know, don't rely on the city, but work with the city uh, to solve problems, but at least collaborate outside of the city and come up with a solution and be like, okay, here's our proposal. Here's what we think. Here's how we can help you solve this problem. We all find the same fight, you know, all together. So, that the whole idea of collaboration, I think, is what's going to help us, you know, bring us out and solve all, all these problems that we've been talking about. I love that, and 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 you or others help set up those meetings, and and me or my staff will come. Sweet. All right. On a lighter note, let's talk about Trump. I know you're a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, there's uh, all the cities have some sort of relationship with the federal government, and um, you know, we're just interested in and. In, what Austin's relationship so far, at least with the new administration and things have been going on everywhere from um, sanctuary cities is, is more of a state thing, but it's also has a national implication as well. Um, climate change and the things that cities are doing and taking the lead since since the federal government pulled out of that. And just uh, anything else that there is where you're where as a city, just interested in your take where the city is deciding to take a more lead role because maybe the federal government is not a relationship there is not there anymore. We have to take more of a role. Can you kind of speak to that? Yeah, yeah. You know, they, you know, a lot of things may have changed back in that election uh, back in, <laughs> in November. Uh, but one thing that did not change was Austin, Texas. I mean, we are who we were before that vote. We are who we are immediately after that mm-hmm. vote. So take climate change, for example. So the federal government pulls out of the climate change treaty. I think it's really unfortunate because... I don't think there's a question about the the risks that we face right. from climate change. It's not really debatable. Uh, so that was a bad thing to do. But, you know, I was in Paris when the climate change accords were signed. I was representing the city because at the same time that international meeting was taking place, of federal governments, of national governments, there were that was the single largest collection of mayors hmm. in one place in the history of the world. Wow. And Austin, Texas was part and of it. Trump that. made it happen. Isn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> this is how you were before. before Trump. <laughs> it was back in Paris. But it, but there were, you know, it was it was incredible being there. Over half of the change that the 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 climate change accord calls for doesn't happen at the national level. Mm-hmm. It happens at the at the city and the municipal and the right. local level. Uh, so I signed an agreement while I was there, along with a thousand other mayors, 
uh, uh, pledging our cities to to do our part in order to achieve those those goals. Uh, and Austin has always led the the way in that. I mean, this is a city that's going to be um, uh, uh, carbon net zero. Uh, by 2050, municipal operations net zero by 2020. Uh, we're about to pass a resolution in August that'll get us to 65, 75% renewable energy in our generation plan by uh, 2027. Mm. Uh, this is a city that is out front in, in, in so many of those things, and we're going to continue to do that regardless of what the federal government does, because in Austin's, we still get to make choices about how we live and what our priorities are. And again, Austin didn't change in that election. Austin has stayed the same on the sanctuary city issue. Uh, you know, uh, that, that was precipitated here recently because of action that the Travis County Sheriff took. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the suggestion at the time was, is that she was violating federal law in order to put criminals out on the street. And, and and there are so many things wrong with, with that suggestion, <laughs> beginning with the fact that she wasn't violating any federal law or any state law. But for the longest period of time, people thought that she was. Mm-hmm. I went to Washington. I met with the attorney general, with uh, Attorney General Sessions. Uh, this is after the mm-hmm. president initiated his executive order. And I, and I sat and I said, is a city doing what we're doing? Is a county doing what? Are we violating any federal laws? He said, no. I said, are we subject, given what we're doing here in Travis County, are we risking losing any federal funding? He said, no. Hmm. And in fact, that's consistent with the filings that they've made in court. There's no suggestion that Travis County or Austin is violating any law or that we're subject to loss of any federal funds. Here's the problem, right? So at the state level, they're pushing forward on this on the mean that we're violating law. Of course, we're not violating any law. So in order to make the facts fit the rhetoric, they have to pass a law that we would then be breaking. Ah, So now they'll they'll create the law that will make what we're doing uh, against the law. The second part of that meme is just as damaging, letting criminals out on the street that are going to hurt us. I mean, the truth is, is that immigrant populations have a lower incidence of crime and criminal activity than do the general population. Undocumented immigrants. Right. Mm-hmm. Have a lower rate of criminal uh, put, issues than the general population. Right. <laughs> that's not smart. I think that's part of it. I mean, these, these, these they, I think that's part of it. I mean, these are people that that recognize that if they if they do do something, then their their position here is significantly jeopardized. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 when you so so it's not a question of putting criminals back on the street. The people if there's a criminal being put back on the street. Uh, if someone gets arrested and is being put back on the street, it's because the charges against them were dropped. They were found innocent. Mm-hmm. Or uh, uh, the judge has said, if you pay this bail, you're entitled to go back out on the street. That's how the system works. It's the judge setting the conditions of who should go back out on the streets or not. Whether they're undocumented or documented, they're entitled to the same kind of, of bail of bail bail hearings. But yet, when when this kind of activity occurs in our city, it makes us less safe. It destroys the trust relationship that could exist between our local law enforcement and, and our mm-hmm. communities. Suddenly you have you have women who are, are, are victims of sexual assault who are not turning in the person that attacked them because they're afraid of going to the police, which means that you now have somebody who, who attacked someone who knows that they're not going to get turned in. You know what happens when that happens? It when someone can do something and they say, well, nothing's going to happen to me because you're more scared of turning them in than you are, than, than going to the police than you are scared of me. 
that makes communities less safe. Uh, you know, the, our rape crisis center here in the city said there has been an 80% drop in the, in, the, in, the, in the number of women that go into the rape crisis center for, for, for treatment and help. 80% drop in the number of them that are, that are willing to file a, a charge with, wow. the, with the police department. We have wow. children and families that are not showing up at, at clinics to get inocula- inoculations and, and, and other health support that that families should be getting because they're afraid to go that makes our city less safe so it is more than just a a a state issue even though that senate bill four you know is trying to now go way beyond federal law and make something illegal here in texas that is not violating federal law right uh and you know that senate bill four that we're in court on now not only does that it not only goes beyond federal law to make something illegal that is currently not legal but just voluntary it also has a provision that says that that I, as mayor of this city, uh, that the attorney general and the governor can remove me from office if I endorse a policy that is different than Senate Bill Four. Wow, can you imagine that? You know, I mean, that just just that just means <laughs> endorsing a policy that's different. They can go into court and remove me from office. So, are you endorsing it? Absolutely, I'm endorsing a policy different than Senate yes, Bill yes. Four. <laughs> Let's go. And that's why we're in court, because you can't pass a law that says to an elected official what he can endorse and not endorse. I don't think they know they're dealing with a lawyer in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) On a lighter note, as we start to wrap things up, you know, it's it's not on the agenda, but, you know, it it came up recently. Um, There was uh, someone who wrote uh, wrote in on the Internet and uh, about the Alamo Draft House showing um, a certain movie to uh, to just women. And we had a we had a, a elected official. We just happened to have in a room that responded to that. And uh, that letter that you wrote, that response that you wrote, went viral across the world. Um, I'm, did you expect that to happen? I'm sure you didn't. And you know what? I've never seen you write like a response to something like that. You know what made you write that response and even get involved? And is that something you may look to do in the future for issues that you're that you feel are important to you that you want to speak about? You know, it's interesting. That week, I wrote a really good piece on climate change. No. Which nobody read. No, nobody, nobody knows I about that. A, I wrote a really good piece on sanctuary cities. That nobody that's, that's read. We live in. We want things to go viral. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm the Wonder Woman mayor now. <laughs> which was cool. You know, I have three girls, uh, and and that, you know, I get emails all the time from people, as you might imagine, uh, and 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 I usually don't do that, but this one struck a chord. Right. Uh, in part, you know, I have three girls, uh, and and. It was just, it came in at the right time at the right moment. Uh, you know, we started, you know, drafting something to, to respond to it. It picked up speed, yeah. steam here. Uh, and it just seemed like the right thing to do. It was, but no, I we never expected it to, to, to go viral. And, it was but, so on point. It was <laughs> so fun. Point. But being mayor became really relevant to my three girls because it got, Put, it got published in BuzzFeed. Yeah. And as soon as I made BuzzFeed, then my girls said, they oh, heard about okay, it. now I understand this <laughs> job. Buzzfeed, <laughs> now you're relevant. We actually read something that you <laughs> wrote. Huff Post, right. you made CNN, <laughs> right. so many websites. So I, I want to go back to, 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 have you met Trump? I have not. You have not? If he was here, what would, it, what would you tell him? <clears throat> you know, I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure because I'm not sure that anything I could say to him would would have an impact. I guess what I would say to him is that I am from a city that is an economic engine and an innovator. Uh, 
there is something we're doing in this city culturally uh, that may not fit for all cities or all places, but we have so much we can offer and bring to the table in this country. Mm-hmm. And we want desperately to help make our state and our country stronger. And and the the way for us to be able to do that is to let us be who this community, who are we as a neighborhood, what we want to, to, to be. That's what I would say to him. Do I think it would impact anything that's happening? Fake news. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know that, that there was uh, there was an article in New York Times recently about the Trump kids trying to open, a, looking at Austin to build a, a hotel. Like, what what are your thoughts on that? You, is that you, you know? If I, I from a, from a government standpoint, I think we have to be neutral, right, to everybody coming into our city wanting to set up a business. So, so if the Trump family came in to set up a business, I, I would hope that the city would treat them the same way that we would treat um, um, anybody else right. coming in the city setting up a business. Individually, yeah, you know, when I make my own personal choices about sure, where I go express yourself. This is what a podcast is for. <clears throat> you know, everybody gets to make their own individual choices and decisions, but as a city, we need to be neutral. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm going to play a quick game, and then we're going to wrap things up. Of Who said it, Trump or Mr. Burns? There's actually Mr. Burns a from The Simpsons. Burns, Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> and there's actually a website called Trump uh, or MrBurns.com where you can like answer questions. Uh, number one, you know where you were in your miz, right? I can't do a good Trump. But anyway. uh, or Mr. Burns. This thing called nuclear weapons, like a lot of things, are done in uranium, including some bad things. Who said that? Trump or Burns? Trump. Yep. Ding, 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 ding. Yep. <laughs> uh, I'll do the next one. Yeah, go ahead. Even if waterboarding doesn't work, they deserve it anyway. Mr. Burns. Trump. Trump. <laughs> Byron, you want to take the next one? Sure. Why do I need another penny? I have billions. Still, if I don't take it, that hoodlum over there might. Trump. Mr. Burns, actually. <laughs> Lane, take one. Next one. Part of the beauty of me is that I am very rich. Mr. Burns or Mr. Trump? <laughs> Stop <laughs> it. Part of the beauty of me is that I'm very rich. Uh, Mr. Trump. Ding, ding, yes. ding, yep. ding, ding. Uh, tiny children or not horses. One vaccine at a time over time. Trump or Mr. Burns? Mr. Burns. Trump. Trump. <laughs> last right, one. Last one. Anyone can start a family. These days, no one can find a job. Is the problem. Anyone can start a family. These days, no one Mr. wants to find a job. Mr. Burns, it is. All right. Congratulations. <laughs> it's a hard game. Yeah. <laughs> go, go to Trump or MrBurns.com. You can play it along. It's, it's a lot of fun, actually. You'd be yeah. surprised what our president says. Yeah. Well, we're going to wrap things up. We've been talking for an hour and a half. I know we take a lot of your, your time already. It's fun. Thank you. It's an honor to be here in the uh, at City Hall. But we look forward to you know you know keeping up with what's happening and like like you know as you know we uh, what we do at the feedback is we try to you know capture the story um, of Austin and try to export that and people listen from all over the all over the country and we love what we do we love our city just as much as you do maybe more nah, <laughs> I'm kidding I'm kidding uh, but thank you so much 
Thank you to our sponsor, Slab Barbecue and Herd Presents. You can uh, follow the feedback on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. It really helps. It goes a long way. Uh, you can also go to thefeedback.com slash donate if you want to help us with our whole equipment here that we have and the services we use online to bring a quality show to you. Thank you, Miko. Byron. Thank you, Byron. Nice. Thank you, Lane. And thank you, Steve. It's just weird. Thank you, Mayor Adler. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Wonder Thanks. Woman Mayor, everybody. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks. Y'all we'll take talk care. talk to you next time. And ciao, ciao.